If you're an author or plan to be one, get excited because this podcast is for you. Book Marketing Mentors is the only podcast dedicated to helping you successfully market and sell your book. If you're ready for empowering conversations with successful marketing mavens, then grab a coffee or tea and listen in to your host, international best-selling author, Susan Friedman. Welcome to Book Marketing Mentors, the weekly podcast where you learn proven strategies, tools, ideas, and tips from the masters. Every week, I introduce you to a marketing master who will share their expertise to help you market and sell more books. Today, my special guest is a digital marketing expert. Kaylin Huntress is an American digital nomad living in New Zealand and has spent 10 years running an online business while traveling the world with his young family. Kaylin is a digital marketer and a sales strategist who specializes in creating sales funnels and online courses for best-selling authors, business coaches, and professional public speakers. Kaylin, it's always a pleasure to welcome a National Speakers Association colleague, especially when they're calling all the way from New Zealand. So welcome to the show and thank you for being this week's guest expert and mentor. Thanks, Susan. I'm happy to be here. Kaylin, one of the major attractions for having you as this week's guest expert is that you talk about a subject that I'm asked a lot about, and that is how to get testimonials for my book. How do we go about asking people for testimonials? Well, there's two ways to do it, Susan. The the first way is what most people do, and that's emailing somebody and saying, hey, can you take on some volunteer work and do me a favor and write a testimonial? And since we have friends and colleagues in our network who want to see us succeed, a lot of people will say yes. In my experience, the people who actually sit down and compose their thoughts and write something that's really worthwhile that you'd want to have on a book jacket, the amount of people that actually follow through on that and deliver something of quality is a pretty small percentage. Whereas if you interview people for a testimonial, and you handle the hard work, and you ask them questions that guide the testimonial to say what you want it to say, then not only is it more likely that your testimonial actually happens, but you can work in specific points that you want someone else to be saying about your book. I think about it like a news reporter making a segment. When you watch the evening news, the news reporter who tells you the story will intersperse clips of things that people say. They don't ask people to come into the studio and give their opinion about it. They go out and they proactively hit the street and talk to people, and have a long conversation, and then take out these tiny nuggets of the really good stuff. And that's what gets on the news. And that's how your testimonials can be as well. It can be those good, shiny, wonderful little phrases that are part of a larger conversation. But it's up to us as authors to have those conversations with the people in our network if we want to get truly exceptional testimonials. What an incredible idea. I absolutely love that. So let's go down that avenue of interviewing somebody. I've got a book and I want somebody to share some opinions about that book. 
Is my expectation that they will have read the book? How would I go about an interview asking people for a testimonial for a book? Well, ideally, they have read the book in advance because you want them to reflect back to you things that they got from the book. But if they haven't read the book, they could still give you a testimonial about your expertise, about your body of work, about your knowledge or your position in your industry. There's lots of ways that we can get a testimonial that would be applicable on a book jacket. If you have somebody who's read the manuscript and you can get a testimonial from them, that's great. But if it's the first edition and you're going to press, some of those books have testimonials on them from big name people who didn't have time to read the book, but they do know the author and they're willing to put their credibility on the line and say, yes, such and such author is an expert in this, this, and this, and their work makes me feel this way. You can get a testimonial like that, even from people who haven't read your manuscript. And that's a good point because I've actually gotten that, let's say from my Riches and Niches book, I got one from Seth Godin. He had said specifically you can use this for print, but no other way of using this testimonial. But I know that he didn't read my book cover to cover, but he knew a little bit about me. He looked through the book, he gave his opinion, and it was priceless, because obviously that's on the dust jacket of the book. And as I say, it was invaluable Mm -hmm. to have that. Yeah, a testimonial is gold. 88% of people say that they trust an online testimonial as much as a personal recommendation. I love that percentage. (laughs) (laughs) It's usually like 80%, but 88 sounds like it's much more accurate. (laughs) Yeah, well, this this statistic came from a, a Nielsen survey of consumers when faced with making buying decisions online. And when they were asked about their opinion about brands where they had read testimonials versus brands where they had had somebody personally tell them, this is something you need to buy and this is something you need to spend money on. In 88% of the cases, the online recommendation made just as much of an impact to them as a personal recommendation is. And that's a recommendation from a stranger, from someone they don't know. That's a testimonial. I'm always reading people's reviews of products. And the more people who say they like something, I'm like, the chances are I'm going to like it. If I Mm -hmm. see too many negatives, obviously, that puts up red flags. And I had uh, one guest who said, don't always look for five stars. Four stars, three stars are good too. So it doesn't look as if this isn't a real review of the book. I am a fan of three-star reviews. This is a bit off topic, but I read a lot of three-star reviews on Amazon books because for market research, that's a really useful category of feedback for people who liked it, but there was something missing. And so often in three-star reviews, people will talk about what they really wanted to get out of things. And as a marketer, that's very valuable intelligence for me to find. I would agree with that very much so. One of the things that some of my authors do is that they actually write several testimonials and send those out to people and say, hey, is there one of these that you would be willing to put your name to or you could take and maybe adapt to make it more you sounding? What are your thoughts on that? 
Well, as an efficiency tactic, it's got merit because it prevents the person giving the testimonial from having to write something from scratch. However, there is a little bit of um, inauthenticity in play. If I'm being asked to review a book and somebody says, here's three testimonials, pick one that sounds like what you think, then I'm being asked to put my name to something that somebody else has written. However, if it's my ideas that come into the testimonial, then I'm much more likely to agree. And so that's why I like interviewing people and getting their opinions and feedback and taking a lot of notes, writing the testimonial for them based on what they said, and then sending that to them and saying, hey, does this look good as a testimonial from you? If so, give me a thumbs up and we're good to go. And if there's any edits you want to make, you could just edit the text and then send it over to me. And people really appreciate having that work done for them. And so while I like the idea of sending them testimonials to approve instead of asking them to write one, in my opinion, I think it's more effective and more respectful to interview them first and have a conversation in order to write the testimonial that's really highlights what their unique thoughts are. Yes, very much so. Talk to us about who we should actually go about asking for these testimonials. You mentioned it in passing that some big names, but if I don't know anybody, how should I go about finding the right people to ask? I look at them as concentric circles, that there are people who are close to you in your network your business colleagues, your uh, siblings, your parents. There's people who will give you testimonials just because they support you and they want to see you succeed. That's usually a good place to start. Not necessarily because those are the testimonials you want on your book, but because it's going to warm you up. It's going to get you in the habit of asking for testimonials. It's going to help you discover what you like and don't like about testimonials. And those first few, if they end up not being worthwhile for your book, that's okay because you've gone through a learning process. And then when you start asking for testimonials from bigger names, from people who are further outside your network, from people who don't know you, you have more of a handle on your process and your goals. So I recommend starting close with low-risk people who are going to support you no matter what then progressively moving further out so that by the time you approach Seth Godin or someone of a high level, you know exactly what you're looking for and you know exactly how to ask it. And when you know those things, when you are confident in what you're asking for and you're clear about your outcome, it makes the other person much more comfortable. I think one of the reasons we have a resistance to asking people for testimonials is because we don't want to make the other person feel uncomfortable and we don't want to make ourselves look foolish. And so that fear, that fight or flight mechanism that comes in where, oh, I can't ask them, I've got imposter syndrome and they're way too big, you know, that comes about because we don't know what we're going to ask and we don't know how we're going to ask it. But if you define those two things, if you decide in advance, this is what I'm going to ask, this is how I'm going to ask it, then when you're in the moment and you're making that ask, you can eradicate that fear of rejection because you've already planned out what you're going to do. This begs a question with regard to the interview. Would I approach somebody like Seth and say, can I interview you? Do you make that ask or is that too big an ask? I would recommend making an ask for a phone call. 
some people are much more likely to give a private phone call to somebody than they are to give a testimonial where they have to put their name to something and put it out there for everyone to see. But you could make it the context of the call request. You could say, hey, Seth, I'm writing a new book. I'd love to get your thoughts on it. Can we hop on a phone call for 15 minutes? I'd like to ask you a few quick questions. Then what you're selling is the appointment. You're not asking him to put his name to anything or review anything. He just has to look at his calendar and see if it's a match. And if you get them on the phone, what I like to do is say, I'd like to get a testimonial from you about whether it's the experience of working with me or my book or the subject. But instead of writing something out, could I just interview you for a few minutes? I'll ask you a few questions. I'll take a bunch of notes and then I'll write up the testimonial and send it over to you. And if you think it looks good, then that's what we'll use. And if you want to make any edits, then you can just make some edits and reply back to me. Does that sound good? I've never had anybody say no, because all they're committing to is a conversation. And they still get the, a right of refusal. They still get the email where they could say, eh, you know, this doesn't work. So they can still pull out of it later. And having that framework in the conversation, it makes it very comfortable for people to say, sure, ask me some questions. This is something that you definitely have to plan in advance, obviously, when you're looking for these testimonials on your book. Tell me about how many should we, let's say, put on the cover of a book? I get asked that question a lot. Should it be three? Should it be five? How many do you think is an optimum number to have on the dust cover? I think it's the same as how long is a piece of string. It depends. And I think with the right number of testimonials, it's going to depend on the visual design more than it is on the content. Because there's some book cover designs that will be able to house five testimonials, but there's other book cover designs where the sparseness and the starkness of empty space is really important. And so having one testimonial that's five stars in a graphic form and then the name of the newspaper, that's much more compelling than if we just filled it with text. As a general rule of thumb, I'd recommend between three and five as a starting point. And then working with the visual design of the cover to see what's most complementary to the aesthetic. And then is there any particular order that we should put this? Should the bigger names go first? How would you decide who takes which position? <laughs> I'd say either the biggest name or the best testimonial goes on top. Because the likelihood of that being the only one that people read is really high. So you want to deliver your best value first. I like what Ogilvy said. He said, you spend half the time writing your headline and the other half of the time writing your call to action. Everything else in the article is just filler that you develop while you're trying to get to those two things, the headline and the call to action. Because that's what people really read. And that's what really makes them decide on things. And so with a testimonial, I think that first testimonial that's right up near the top, that's the one that counts the most. And it should either be the biggest name or best sounding testimonial. I know that you offer some little known secrets to testimonial collection to make that easier. What else can you share with us that we need to know about this whole process? I started working with this process when I was following up with a client and trying to get a testimonial from her. 
at the time, she was the biggest name client that I'd ever worked with. She was a nationally syndicated radio host out of LA. And we had done a lot of work together over a couple of years. And we were doing interview summits. And I made all these sales pages and this membership website. And we sold a lot of product. And then she got her dream gig. She got a network show. And so we wrapped up the project and I did the handoff to the next team. And I said, hey, I really enjoyed working with you. Would you give me a testimonial about what it was like working with me? And she said, sure, I loved your work so much. You were so great to work with. I'll write something up and send it over later. Three weeks went by and I didn't hear anything. So I emailed her and I said, hey, you were going to give me a testimonial. Can you send that sometime? And she said, oh yeah, sure, I'll get to it. And another three weeks went by. And so I started to feel uncomfortable hounding this old client who said she liked what I did. I got all this imposter syndrome. Does she not like my work? So I sat back and I looked at it from her perspective. And what I was asking her to do was homework. I was asking her to sit down and compose her thoughts and write out a paragraph on her own time as volunteer work to support my business. And it dawned on me, the whole reason she hired me was because she didn't want to do any writing. She didn't want to write her emails or her sales pages, or she hired me to do those things. What she liked doing was interviewing, was having conversations with people. And so I put on my interviewing hat and I said, hey, can I get you on the phone for 10 minutes? I've got some questions for you. She said, sure. And so we got on the call and then it was really easy. I said, hey, I'd like to ask you a few questions. I'm going to take some notes and send them over to you. And if this looks good to use as a testimonial, just give me a thumbs up and we're good to go. And she said, sure, this sounds great. She was really enthusiastic about the idea. And so I interviewed her and I got a glowing testimonial that helped me get a lot of high-level work over the next few years. Over that time, I developed this process of helping people open up in the conversation and provide specific feedback that makes a really good testimonial. And so I've distilled this down into six questions. Would you like to know what these six questions are? Was that rhetorical? (laughs) (laughs) Well, I guess I'll just jump in and tell you then. I would love you to. (laughs) Okay, great. I'm going to give you an outline of these questions, and then I'm going to give you the specific script that I use when I'm asking. And if you want to get these questions, I'll tell you about a way you can get a workbook later that'll help you do that. But the first question is always an elevator pitch. I always say, so just tell me who you are and what you do so I can make sure to attribute your testimonial correctly. And that gets them warmed up. It gets them talking. The second question, I ask them to go down memory lane to recall the situation they were in when we started working together. The third question I ask them is why did they decide to work with me? The fourth question is about price or quality. The fifth question is the experience. What was this experience like for you? And the sixth question is, what would you say if somebody called you and asked, should they do this? And so if I was going to have this for book testimonials, what I would say is, tell me your elevator pitch. Question one, I want to make sure I attribute this testimonial correctly. So just tell me who you are and what you do. And then the second question what problems are you facing that this book would solve? The third question, why would you choose to read this book? This gets them to unpack the problem set that they're facing, that they're looking for this book for solutions to solve. The fourth question, price or quality, I really like this question because it gets them to uncover 
what is different about this outside of price? And I like to ask, when you're buying a book like this, is price going to be more important than quality? Because almost nobody likes to say, yes, price is most important. I will buy this book if it's the cheapest one on the shelf. But what they will say is, well, no, price isn't as important as this. And it'll highlight the aspects outside of financial price that are important. And this is really good market research to find out what outside of money is really important for people. That's what question four is really good for. Question five, the experience is open-ended. Tell me about the experience of reading this book. And then they can just free flow. They can talk about what's important to them, what they picked up. And you're just taking notes this whole time and you're capturing phrases and words that are how your reader thinks of your work. And having those phrases, the phrases of how the reader thinks of your work, those might be different phrases than how you think of your work. And so you can get a testimonial in your reader's language. It makes your future reader see themselves in the testimonial. And this sixth question is what drives it all home. If somebody called you and said, should I read this book? What would you say to them? The answer to this question is often the first line of the testimonial because they will answer it as they would tell a friend why they should do this. And if you can have a testimonial that sounds like a friend pulling you aside and saying, look, you need to know about this book. That's the kind of power that we want in a testimonial. Absolutely brilliant. And if our listeners didn't get that, how can they find out more about getting those questions? Well, I have a workbook at testimonials101.com. I also have a free five-day testimonial collection challenge that is and accompanies this PDF workbook. And this workbook helps you identify who are the people in your network that can give you testimonials, what am I going to ask them, and how am I going to create an outreach plan to ask them these questions. And so at testimonials101.com, you can subscribe to my newsletter and get this free workbook and a five-day testimonial collection challenge that'll guide you through everything you need step-by-step to collect your own testimonials. That sounds invaluable. That really does. Thank you. We always love talking about mistakes. What are some of the kinds of mistakes that we can avoid when you know, making these requests for testimonials? I'd say the biggest mistakes I have made regarding testimonials regard not being clear in my ask. If I want something and I tiptoe around it because I don't want to make the other person uncomfortable, then I can come across as vague. And if somebody comes to you, you've got your things going on, you've got your life, you've got your goals, you've got your agendas, and somebody comes to you and says, hey, kind of looking for this thing. So if you did that, it would be neat. The likelihood of you pulling out of your day-to-day life and stopping what you're doing to figure out what they need and then deliver that to them is really low. But if somebody comes to you with a clear and confident ask and says, hey, I'd like you to do this thing. Could you help me do it? If it's very clear and it gives you the opportunity for a simple yes or no, it's much more respectful of your time And it's much more likely to get a positive response. I'd say that's the biggest mistake that I know I can fall into, and maybe some of your listeners do too, is making requests of people without being clear. What I find often is that 
they become very self-centered about this whole process rather than putting that out like you did with this young lady thinking, well, what's their world about? What's going on in their world? Why aren't they doing what they said they would do? Because deep down they want to do it, but they just don't have the time. It isn't even a priority. It's so low on that to-do list that you sort of never get to it, even though with the best will in the world, you'd love to. And it's more respectful of their time to do the work for them so that all they have to do is have a conversation. Whenever I have a conversation planned on my calendar, at the beginning of every day, I look at every appointment I have and I ask myself, what's the best outcome for this conversation? Because I live in New Zealand. I'm all the way across the world. If I'm talking with somebody in Portugal or in Canada or in Australia, in order for us to have a commercially viable relationship, I need to be clear what I'm asking. And so when I look at my calendar, I ask myself, what do I want out of this conversation? And how do I phrase it to this person? Just by scripting out my questions in advance, it clarifies my own thinking. And it prepares me so that when we reach a point in the conversation where I can make that request, my fight or flight doesn't kick in. I don't get confused and distracted, and I don't make the other person uncomfortable. I simply move into the pre-scripted question that I've decided in advance that I want to ask. And so I think that's the best way to avoid this mistake of being unclear, is to give yourself the clarity before you talk to somebody. Spend a few minutes before a call thinking about what do I want out of this? How do I ask for it? And write yourself a script I mean, we're talking to authors here. Writing out a script is the simplest and easiest way to gain confidence when you're speaking with others. I know that you gave us this great offer of the testimonials. What else would you like our listeners to know about you, your business? What would you like to tell them? I'll throw something from left field at you. (laughs) I think... Online courses are priced all wrong. There's a lot of buzz on the internet right now about, you know, make an online course by buying my online course about how to make online courses. I work with a lot of authors and coaches and speakers, people who have hired me to make them online courses. Online courses right now, they're priced like a class, but they're not consumed like a class. You don't get access to the teacher. You don't get access to this group of peers who are going through the material with you. You consume it like it's a book. So my theory is that if online courses were priced like a book, if they were a $25 engagement where people who don't know your work yet can learn more about you and they can be cross-sold into higher priced items, I think online courses can be much more successful if they're priced as books and not as classes. That's something that I'll offer is that if any authors that are listening have worked on an online course that hasn't given them the results that they were hoping for, it might be because it's priced wrong or because it doesn't provide access to the teacher. I'm seeing some interesting things in market right now where high-priced online courses, if we tier the pricing and we sell at one level for passive consumption and a higher level for access to a couple of coaching calls, people buy that higher level because people will pay for time. So I know this is off topic, but you know, given the audience, I thought people might find 
that interesting. There's a lot of interesting things happening with online courses behind the scenes that people aren't really talking about right now, but it's been fascinating to watch things unfold. That really is very different information from what I've heard. I like it, and I hope our listeners do too. And is there a website, an email address that you want to share with us? I'm at stellarplatforms.com which is where my digital marketing agency lives. I've also got a personal blog at kaylinhuntress.com. And if you can figure out how to spell my name, then you can find it. The one thing I'd like to share is testimonials101.com. Because if you've listened to this far, then I think that my, uh, my testimonial interview script might be really useful for you. I think so too, very much so. You've given us so much information, Kaylin. We always end with a golden nugget. I'm greedy, so I'm going to ask for more. What's your golden (laughs) nugget? (laughs) Whatever you're doing with your time, just be happy at it. Everything else works out if you can find a way to be happy in the moment. You're incredible all the way from New Zealand. Thank you so much for sharing your wisdom. And thank you all for taking time out of your precious day to listen to this interview. And I sincerely hope that it sparked some ideas you can use to sell more books. Here's wishing you much book marketing success. The time is now to take action and finally build your book selling empire. And the great news is that Susan is here to help you. Visit bookmarketingmentors.com and sign up for a free 15-minute book marketing strategy session with Susan. She'll help you discover your first steps to marketing and selling your book. Only those who take action are rewarded. So visit bookmarketingmentors.com and we'll see you again next week. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.